This podcast series is based on a book called Beyond Reasonable Greed, Why Sustainable Business is a Much Better Idea by Wayne Visser and Clem Sumter, read by myself, Wayne Visser. Externalities, Making the Predators Pay The lion, being focused on its prey, pays no attention to any side effects of its hunting operation. So long as it is successful in its hungry mission, any casualties along the way are just part of the game of focus, hunt, kill, move on, focus, hunt, and so on. The top brass in the military would call it collateral damage. The elephant, on the other hand, is highly conscious of her surroundings and fellow creatures and goes out of her way to ensure that no harm comes to them and that her actions have a beneficial spin-off. This analogy introduces the economist's useful notion of externalities or spillover effects. In the lion economy, companies impose costs on society and nature without paying for these damages. These are negative externalities. On the other hand, lone elephant companies may make contributions to the community or the ecology without being financially rewarded for these benefits. These are positive externalities. Let us look, for example, at what happens if we decrease the stock of biodiversity, either by a wetland being drained for development, tropical forests being cleared for agriculture, or a valley being flooded for a hydroelectric power scheme. Each of these new activities have benefits, but these accrue mainly to a single beneficiary, a company, in the form of the revenue generated from the product or service created. However, these activities also have social and environmental costs for which the company does not pay. There may be local externalities, such as declining soil fertility, soil erosion and loss of local habitat, as well as global externalities, including the loss of potential scientific discoveries, such as cures for diseases, a decrease in carbon sink facilities, impaired capacity for regulating the climate, and extinction of natural species. In an elephant economy, the company would be made to foot the bill for these wider costs. There are numerous other examples of environmental and social externalities. The effects on health of passive smoking are a typical negative externality. So is pollution of the water, air or land when these affect a third party without compensation. Other examples are congestion of public areas, noise, the introduction of viruses or diseases, crime and hazardous incidents. Before sustainability became such a priority, companies as the proverbial kings of the jungle were able to ignore many of their social and environmental externalities – Business saw its task as making products, delivering services and generating profits. Dealing with any unfortunate side effects of this money-making process was, they argued, the responsibility of governments and charity organizations. Today, the situation is vastly different. The sustainability trend is forcing companies to internalize their social and environmental externalities. In other words, to account for them in their own books. Climate change provides excellent examples of the application of economic instruments to promote sustainable commercial activity. Let's talk about the externalities first. 
Research by the World Health Organization estimates that a failure to reduce greenhouse gases, that's the chief source of climate change, to a level 15% below that pertaining in 1990, will result in 700,000 avoidable deaths annually and more than 8 million deaths between 2000 and 2020. The deaths will be caused mainly by diseases like malaria brought on by warmer surroundings. In addition, climate change is expected to cause massive damage to property and infrastructure as a result of more severe and unpredictable weather patterns in the decades to come. Agriculture-dependent economies and low-lying coastal cities or island states have the most to lose. According to the director of the world's sixth-largest insurance company, CGNU, damage to property due to global warming is currently rising at 10% a year and could bankrupt the world by 2065. As far as the International Energy Agency is concerned, implementing climate change policies could cost the U.S. economy $400 billion in losses in GDP and raise the price of gasoline by 53%. Rising electricity costs would be 86% and residential natural gas would rise 110%. Moving across the ocean to Australia, anticipated policy reforms in relation to greenhouse gases are predicted to cause a 12% hike in the price of aluminium, 5 billion Australian dollars of additional costs for the power industry, and between 70 and 350 million Australian dollars of extra costs to the oil refineries. All of these costs and many more are indications of a collective externality that energy-hungry industries have imposed on society. The lions have been free to enjoy the spoils of their prowess, but have not paid the price for their success, namely the cost of fixing the damage they have caused in the course of their hunt. But not for much longer. The elephants are trumpeting in a new era, one in which economic instruments will force the lions to swallow and digest their externalities. Economic instruments can take many forms, and the wonderful thing about the economic shape-shifting taking place around climate change is that it is serving to pilot-test many of these flexible instruments. We're seeing, for example, development funds, penalty taxes, incentive subsidies, and markets in tradable emissions permits being launched in rapid succession. One of the first climate change funds to be launched was the World Bank's Prototype Carbon Fund, which finances projects that reduce greenhouse gases. By the end of 2001, it had received $60 million in funding from 20 multinationals and five countries. In Japan, low-interest loans are being offered for energy-efficient investments, while the U.S., through its Climate Change Technology Initiative, is introducing energy-efficiency tax incentives and research and development subsidies to the tune of $6.3 billion. In 2001, the UK government introduced a climate change levy, which is a tax on the industrial use of energy. This levy will add between 5 and 10% to the industry's fuel bills. However, some energy-intensive sectors have been offered up to an 80% discount on the levy if they agree to sign up to certain minimum improvements in energy efficiency or reductions in emissions. A similar energy tax is being proposed in Germany. Also in 2001, the UK launched the world's first national greenhouse gas emissions trading system. 
Essentially, such a system means that a company which faces exorbitant costs in reducing its emissions to a designated level can buy credits from another company which can reduce its emissions below the designated level with relative ease. These credits then allow the purchaser to continue emissions above the targeted level for the length of time for which the credits are valid. Nevertheless, the costs associated with this option can still be considerable. Other countries and regions are considering following suit, including Australia, Canada, Denmark, the European Union, New Zealand, Norway and the US. In the US, major firms from the Midwest region are already participating in a pilot scheme known as the Chicago Climate Exchange, following their history of successfully trading other emissions such as sulfur dioxide and nitrogen oxides. The International Energy Agency estimates that $30 billion of greenhouse gas credits will be on the market for trading in 2008. A significant fraction of these will be available to developing countries to trade under the clean development mechanism of the Kyoto Protocol. Some proactive companies have hedged their bets by doing early trades at discount prices, qualifying them as elephant drag queens on their way to becoming genuine elephants. Already these deals involve an equivalent reduction in emissions of over 10 million tons of carbon dioxide. Companies like BP and Shell are preparing for the effects of these economic instruments by implementing internal trading schemes on greenhouse gas emissions. Aidan Murphy, Vice President of Climate Change at Shell International, explains the rationale as follows. It will change the shape of our energy portfolio and reduce future risk, he says. Moreover, the effect of factoring in carbon prices of 5 and $20 per tonne of carbon dioxide generated, he says, will be to gain us a competitive position compared to other companies, as a carbon-constrained environment is already a market reality. Without a doubt, we can learn from this experimental phase of addressing climate change, whereby economic instruments are being used to promote sustainable business practices. There are numerous examples from other fields to build on as well, from taxes on noise levels in the Dutch airline industry to levies on UK landfill waste sites to economic incentives in South Africa for recycling aluminium cans. By instituting measures to promote sustainability which are flexible and market-based, governments are educating the lions of the old economy to become more aware of the external costs of their behaviour and to be accountable for them. One can call this shape-shifting of a kind, but it is not truly converting the lions into elephants. After all, if the incentives were removed, the lions would immediately revert to their old behaviour. What you want is for the lions to volunteer to be different, but perhaps this is asking too much.